0: God, you are so good to us uh, in so many countless ways that we are not even attuned to. You, you just show us grace and mercy and love and kindness. Um, we thank you for that. That we get to even remain a part of your creation when we have been rebellious against you is just a, an incredible act of mercy. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you so much for your word and the way that it encourages us and makes us wise. I pray that we would be people who live in accordance with everything that the scriptures teach us. We thank you for this book of Ephesians that is so deep and encouraging. And uh, as we come to the conclusion here, um, I pray that you would just cause all the things that we talked about and learned as we studied this book to settle deep in our hearts, to not be, like James said, something that just comes into our mind that we forget about And, um, yeah, let it be something that shapes us. So bless our time, guide us in truth, and it's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Okay, well, uh, Jonas told me that you guys didn't quite get through the end of uh, chapter 6, verse uh, like 18 through 20. So we're actually going to pick up in 18, even though it's like not a completed thought. It's like in the middle of, of a thought, but... It's in this series of um, you know, commands, exhortations, so I'm sure you can handle picking up in the middle of a thought. <clears throat> it says in Ephesians 6 verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right, well, let's begin with uh, that, that opening phrase there praying at all times in the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? kind of an interesting phrase there are uh you want to you, you know there there is a, a view from uh sort of the pentecostal charismatic movement that this means to pray in tongues what do you guys think that sounded like sort of a no-ish yeah no 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 yeah. why not Pray. I think that's a huge part of the argument, actually. Um, yeah. And not everyone has a
1: tongue.
0: That's also good, right? Uh, they they make the error and basically say that everybody should pray in tongues, but uh, those chapters in 1 Corinthians, right, like 12 through 14, are pretty clear. Not everybody god gives the gifts as he chooses it's up to his sovereign will not everybody has that gift so then you wouldn't even be able to obey this scripture right that's another really good point let's consider a couple other verses uh why don't you turn to romans 8 so this is a principle a hermeneutical principle does anybody know what hermeneutic means or hermeneutical Absolutely. So if you if you think about understanding the Bible as as work, you have like a toolbox for how you do that. Those are hermeneutical principles. What tools do you use to understand what the text means? So one of the tools that we use is we let scripture interpret scripture and we interpret the more difficult passages in light of the more clear passages. Okay? So we can take a phrase like in the spirit. And we can search where else the Bible says in the Spirit to see if we can get some clarification on this, okay? So if you look uh, in Romans 8, verse 5, we're not going to deal with the whole chapter. I'm just going to pull out a couple quick verses. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Then go down to verse 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So, in light of these verses, what do you think it might mean to pray in the spirit? Yeah, I, I think it means to be in relationship with God, with all that that entails, right? So it means you don't hinder your prayers by living in sin and disobedience. You are praying things like God's will be done, like Jesus teaches us in the, ser- the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, you're seeking the, the mind and will of Christ. You're praying in accordance with what Scripture says, so I don't think that this needs to be some mystical, weird thing that we don't understand what it means to pray in the Spirit. I think the Bible helps us understand. It is in relationship with God, we pray and seek his face. So there's another one. If you want to turn to Jude, it's one of those tricky ones to find, but it's right before Revelation. Revelation. I think this one is helpful. Jude verses 20 to 21. <clears throat> it says, but you beloved building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So I think we might add here that praying in the Spirit, and we've already said this, is you know maintaining this relationship with God, letting your, your prayers be genuine and sincere and with in with what accords with his will here we find this phrase keeping yourselves in the love of god Um, jesus says if you love me you will obey my commands Mm -hmm. right so i think these things help us understand what it means to pray in the spirit again this is not something that is like mystical and not understandable or something that is actually in like a weird supernatural kind of way like speaking in tongues um, it is supernatural, because it is in relationship with the Spirit, but it's also very natural. It is just prayer that is in accordance with what pleases God. Praying with our hearts and minds and lives aligned with what pleases God. Um, does anybody have any questions on that? Any comments on that? Any, anybody? Concerns or disagreements? So I want to mention something else. Turn with me. Sorry to make you turn all over the place, but this is adult Sunday school. So Isaiah 59. This is an interesting passage of scripture here. Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. So in verses 1 and 2, we encountered kind of an interesting uh, theological truth, which is that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And uh, verse 1 seems to say that. It's not an issue that God cannot save us, but what is the consequence of persistent sin in our prayers, in our relationship with God? Yeah, right? So we need to understand this. Like, we're saved by grace, and that's a finished work of Jesus Christ. But we truly are in relationship with God. And if we wander off into sin, and we persist, and we rebel, you know, Hebrews 3 and 4 say, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If we continue to do that, we quench the Holy Spirit, we persist in disobedience, then our prayers, we shouldn't have much expectation for what they were accomplished and and James also speaks about this right that if we pray with doubt then we shouldn't expect that we will get what we receive so there's a lot of elements here does this make sense in other words praying in the spirit our, our, our God delights to partner with us in prayer when we are seeking his face and his will and if we are living in disobedience and we come to him in prayer the first thing I think that he would say to us is basically, go and sin no more. Does that make sense? Uh, so Isaiah 59 is certainly Old Covenant language, but the principle here is that, you know, in one sense, we're not separated from God ever, because as believers, we are in relationship with him through the completed work of Jesus Christ. But there is another sense that we are in relationship with God and relationships require actual connection, real relationship. Does that make sense?
2: That's Reed? Yeah. That question. So, yesterday I had an interesting conversation with a, with a, a Christian, and uh, basically I was surprised to see that he did not believe that it was a command of God, an expectation of God, that we pray every day and read the Bible every day. So, do you believe that it is a command of God to pray every day?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, pray without ceasing, right? Um, absolutely. so yes and and more than that, uh, if we think about our relationship with God in relational terms, right, um, how long could my marriage be healthy if I was not interacting with my wife? right? Uh, you know tragically, when I'm doing marriage counseling with couples, a lot of times what you find is that these couples have these... these People have basically become roommates because they have no real intimate communication with one another, and um, certainly that that would grieve the heart of God. It would displease Him that we would ignore Him like that. So yeah, totally.
2: Because I think when we think about prayer and you know praying in the spirit and uh, being close to God, then if we don't have this clear goal, my goal is to pray every day, then it's just not going to happen. Right? It's just not happen. people don't even know that. Oh, I yesterday that's a problem and so then they're not you know their conscience are not necessarily informing them that well you need to really have a plan otherwise uh, just like, like meditation it, it's not happening
1: yeah
0: and I would absolutely agree with that I think I would I would probably choose to reframe the language just a little bit in this sense that Somebody who is not seeking God in prayer, um, I, I, I probably, I probably wouldn't first go to duty. I would probably first go to like, what's wrong with your heart that this God who loves you has not drawn you into fellowship with Him? Right. The real problem here is not that you're failing to do some duty, but you don't actually treasure this God. Right. Right. Uh, so that's that's a heart issue for sure.
2: Yeah. The, the things I mentioned were. Uh, every time Jesus ate, before he ate, he gave thanks. You eat every day, yes, you do. So you have plenty of opportunities to pray every time you get food. And then uh, we sin every day, so we have plenty of opportunities to confess every day. Yeah. We should not let the sun go down. We should just pray. Yeah. And then it says, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. That happens every day. Right. So I'm going to ask for God's help. I'm going to rely on God on a daily basis. Amen. For my life. So that just so many reasons to pray every day. In
0: the spirit, it's it's encouraging. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And regarding the question, should we read God's word every day? There's no uh, there's no like explicit command that says read the Bible every day. But you have like Joshua one eight. Do not let this book of the law depart from your heart, but meditate on it day and night. Um, obviously Proverbs and Psalms talks a lot about meditating on God's word and then you have Jesus saying seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so this is certainly one of the ways one of the most significant ways that we do that so like if somebody's like well there's no verse in the Bible that says you should read it every day I, I would respond to that and say well you're totally missing the entire movement of scripture which is to draw us into relationship with God and that's one of the ways one of the primary ways we do that
1: yeah, Grady. The, the relationship, I mean, is based on on dependence and surrender. Yeah. You know, it, 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 that, that should be the number one reason we go to prayer is that we're dependent on God. Yeah. And 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 as a believer, we can't exist without Him. It's good. You know, we can't do anything without. Them. Amen. One well, of the things he says to say in the wilderness is, "Man shall not live by like bread right alone, but word that comes out of the mouth of God." Yeah. Right. There you go. You eat every
2: day. It's an act of faith, praying, really.
1: Yeah,
0: and, and absolutely. And and probably the reason why there isn't a explicit verse in the Bible that says read it every day is because through most of human history, people didn't have that luxury. But more shame on us if we don't read it then, you know? If you went back to like 1000 AD and you told people you have a Bible, I think genuine God-loving Christians would be jealous that you had access to that kind of uh, proximity to scripture. You know, if someone from 1000, if, if a peasant farmer from 1000 AD could be transported into your house and see your dusty Bible on the shelf, they would rebuke you for that, for sure.
2: So you mentioned the meme a few weeks ago, so um, here it goes. There's a YouTube video that I saw this week. I, I was almost tempted to put it on the church app. I guess I didn't, but maybe I will. So it's, it's actually a the gentleman who has a YouTube channel. He's a Christian. And he just... Um, he speaks like the the evangelical guy, and then he meets uh, a young, uh, you know, a Christian from the first century, and that's just himself with the dress of a, an old, uh, you know, time person. And then, uh, and then the, the person from the first century says, "What is it like to have the Bible every day? You like, know, you must be reading it. It must be awesome." And, and he goes like, "Well, yeah, you know, it's kind of an old book, and well, you know, sometimes, yeah." And he's like. What you What's mean? wrong with you? <laughs> and then he goes on and he's like, You smoke machines. Like, it's just an awesome <laughs> church experience. And it's like, Do you fellowship? Do you?" And, and it's like, And so it's, it's this total disconnect between what is supposed to happen and the first century guy. So it, it's a pretty
0: awesome. That video. is so funny. I guess I'll say That is absolutely mm-hmm. funny. I love it. Uh, so back to thinking about praying in the spirit. Do you think Jesus prayed in the spirit?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And what is the prototypical model of prayer that Jesus gave us. When his disciples came and said, teach us how to pray, what did he do? What do we call that? <coughs> the Lord's Prayer, right? In Matthew chapter 6. So notice how he's not speaking in tongues, right? He's not, he's not doing anything weird. It's a very simple, very basic prayer of dependence on God and repentance, forgive us our sins, thanksgiving, Right, It's it's encouraging us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we, I mean, we would absolutely assume Jesus prayed in the spirit. No one has ever prayed, I guess, more in the spirit than Jesus. I guess you could maybe say that. Um, and so there's a model, right? It's It doesn't have to be crazy and complicated. Uh, if you want to turn to... Uh, Well, let's not turn there. Gabe, you already kind of mentioned it. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So I think that's probably where people would go to say, like, praying in the Spirit refers to speaking in tongues. Um, But I think that that is a a stretch. it's, It's not even necessarily there talking about praying in the Spirit. It's just talking about mysterious things that are beyond our comprehension. And so Paul here is not encouraging us in Ephesians 6.18 to pray mysterious things. He's encouraging us to pray things that uh, support us in this battle that we are in, right? This spiritual battle. Things that are comprehensible and powerful against spiritual forces.
1: Yeah. And Paul, talks about, forget which epistle it is, but he said he would, especially in the church service, he would rather speak a one word that's meaningful than a thousand words and a tongue, no yeah, can understand the absolutely, of the body,
0: so. totally, absolutely. And, um, I uh, I looked even at this verb in Greek praying, and it is plural. The reason why I was curious about that is. Could we go so far as to say that, in some sense, Paul has in mind a corporate kind of prayer here? Uh, but I, I did, I decided not to go that route because I think maybe because that would connect with what you're saying, you know, regarding how this is done in the body of Christ for edification. But I don't, I didn't feel certain enough about that. It could just be, you know, an encouragement to the church body as a whole. So anyway, um, okay. Any other questions on that? Or should we move on to with all prayer and supplication? Um, What would
2: you say to someone that, oh, what would be the purpose of someone to be able to pray in, like, tongues, if it's just, like, you and God, like, like, I don't understand. There are some people that will
3: say, like, oh, but
0: I know I'm not going to pray. Yeah, I mean, my perspective on that is it's just terrible interpretation of scripture that tongues is some kind of like non-understandable, heavenly, angelic language. Uh, I, I guess that those, those chapters in 1 Corinthians, you know, maybe hint at that, but it, it seems that more typically it's sharing the gospel in a language that you are not educated in. Um, but I, I think where that comes from is some desire to appear super spiritual. And actually, tragically, that charismatic movement uh, that talks about a second baptism in the Holy Spirit really differentiates the church into two classes. You have those who are believers but haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then you have those like super-Christians who got this baptism of the Holy Spirit that causes them to speak in tongues. And I think that comes out of a really terrible understanding of Acts. Um, What's the purpose? I'm not really sure. There's a crazy movie on this called Jesus Camp. It's a documentary. It's really weird, but it's about this place where they take these kids to teach them to pray in tongues, and it's disturbing, actually. It's an old movie, but I don't know why I mentioned that. Jonas.
2: Speaking tongues in the Bible, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, it's not for it's a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. It's a key verse. Right. This verse in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, and uh, it's a quote from, it's uh, following a quote from Isaiah 20, from verse 21 in Isaiah 28, yep. So he says, um, For scripture says, By men of strange tongue I will speak to this people, and yet they will not listen to me. And then it says, Therefore, uh, speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. So speaking in tongues was never something done in private in the Bible. It was always done in public. Acts 2 public, Acts 10 public, 1 Corinthians in public. It's never ever done in private because it's a sign. So how can you show anything as a sign to someone who is not present? It's a sign because it was done in public. And it's not a sign for Christians. It's a sign for non-believers.
0: Yeah, and that's what you see in Acts chapter 2 in particular, Right? right?
2: And then actually from Isaiah, the unbelievers are the Jews. So God says, I will speak to these people with a foreign tongue. And so God speaks to the Jews in judgment when they hear people praise him in languages that were not Jewish. That's that's actually the, the teaching. And so when people say oh, we pray in tongue in private, it's actually a new teaching that arise. Uh, 200 years ago, 100 plus years ago, and uh, nobody did that previously. And so it's completely contrary to what the Bible says about
0: Christians having. And uh, this this doesn't carry as much weight or evidence as God's word, obviously, but I, I can't remember where I came across this, but uh, some linguists, linguists, philologists, right? These are people who are specialized in, in languages. You know, Tolkien was a philologist, and he spoke like 14 different languages and wrote too. he made up elvish and Orkish but anyway people like that have analyzed these different expressions of speaking in tongues and what you can do if you analyze languages is you can see patterns and you can see similarities there are grammatical things that are always the same and always the case and they've analyzed these expressions of tongues and come to find out they're just nonsensical they don't follow any rules of language period now that's not a case that tongues doesn't exist because God is beyond, you know, our, our creation. Our. But you would expect that if God is going to express himself in creation in some way, shape, or form, that it would be orderly, that it would be according to rules that he has instituted in his creation. So you could look into that more if you want. Um, okay, so we get this phrase, with all prayer and supplication. Okay, so pray in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So... I think a question that comes to mind here is um, this could be grammatically what's called a hendiatis, which is uh, two words connected with an and, but they express a single idea. Okay? So, for example, I might say something like, it's nice and warm in here. Really, I'm communicating one idea. I could say it is nicely warm in here, but I'm using two different words to express one complete thought. So I think the question here is, does Paul have in mind two different kinds of prayer, prayer and supplication, or do prayer and supplication come together to form one kind of completed idea? What do you think? Uh, What I
3: noticed as well with with this um, style is that when you use two words, it's because though you want to two ideas, it's because you want it to be more complete. Is that because one word is not enough to convey all the ideas that you meant that you need. And here if that is the case, it's still that what I'm saying still you remain know, because prayer has another um, another notion that supplication. supplication is more limited than prayer, right? So even if that was the case the two words still need to be here for, for the completeness of the thought
0: yeah absolutely so this is this is very helpful so I think uh, unfortunately what a lot of people believe about prayer is that you could just call it supplication okay Uh, I'll give you an example Uh, last night so so this whole category is prayer right this is this is the totality of prayer So last night we were uh, at Maricopa, and one of the things we were just asking people is, hey, can we pray for you? What expectation comes into their mind when we say, can we pray for you? Yeah. Yeah, right? That we will ask God for something. In that framework, the totality of prayer is supplication. That's not a biblical view of prayer at all. And unfortunately, a lot of times this is how we treat prayer. What I would say is that actually the biblical idea of prayer is that you have prayer as a category, I'm sorry, prayer as a totality, and then within that you have smaller things like, I'll just put the word ask as a a shorter word for supplication, right? You have words like adore, you have words like maybe thanksgiving, right? So. I think it's actually really helpful that Paul uses two words here because very quickly we can slip into this kind of prayer that's just, I go to God, the great vending machine of heaven, and I put my prayers in and he spits out my needs. Um, but that's, that's, not, that's actually not primarily what we should think of when we think of praying. Asking, supplicating is part of it, clearly, but that's not all of it. So the reason I bring this up is to challenge you. If the next time you are praying, <clears throat> evaluate what percentage of your prayer is simply begging and pleading God for things and what percent of your prayer is praise, adoration, thanksgiving, expressing confidence. Now, again, the Bible doesn't say that it should be 50 50 or something like that. There's no hard fast number here. Um, I think the Psalms are helpful. They, they give us the full spectrum of kinds of prayers, right from, pleading with God to do things, to just pouring out your heart in praise, confession, thanksgiving. Um, But I I find a lot of times we simply think of prayer as asking. Make sense? Any other thoughts on that? And I, I would say if we were to look at Philippians 4, where it talks about making your requests be made known to God, the promise there in Philippians 4 is not that you'll get all of your requests, but that you'll get what? Anybody know? And the blank of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace, right? So I think one of the ways that we move from our begging supplications to peace is by getting past asking for all of our needs and wants and refocusing our minds on who God is. And I think I mentioned this not too long ago, this method that I like to use that this or suggest to people as they're kind of learning to pray. This acts model adoration confession Thanksgiving, and then you get to supplication at the end. And in my experience, when I when I kind of work this model, you know, I come to God with my fears and anxieties and worries. But I begin by giving Him adoration and confessing my sins and giving Him Thanksgiving. By the time I get down to the S, I'm sort of like, what was I anxious about again? I don't remember anymore, because I've just spent time, you know, sort of staring into the face of this Almighty, All Wise incomprehensible God and the things that I thought were a big deal are no longer a big deal does that make sense okay um, and certainly this this is an important concept in light of this bigger chapter right because what 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 have we been discussing since back in verses 10 through 12 uh, where is where is our where does our challenge in life really come from is it natural or is it supernatural supernatural Supernatural, right so certainly we are battling the flesh the bible is very clear on that but like in coming to god in prayer what we're recognizing is i'm engaged in this war that is way beyond my ability to deal with and god unless i'm in your presence i'm vulnerable (coughs) So then, moving to the next sentence here. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, if you're engaged in a spiritual battle and you're falling asleep on the front lines, what is likely to happen? Right, you're likely to get picked off. Um, you know, there's isn't it? Isn't it? Um, the letters to the seven churches where uh, they're told to wake up, right? One of the churches is told to wake up. Um, Or you have Jesus with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he goes off to pray because he knows that the cross is looming before him. And what do the disciples end up doing? Falling asleep, right? They, They fail to keep alert with all perseverance. So uh, how many of you, I guess I won't make you raise your hands, but I could. All right, we'll just do it, we'll just do it. Uh, how many of you are willing to confess that you have quit praying too, too soon? That you have failed to persevere in prayer, right? I think there's two ways that we do this. The first way is um, we quit after a few minutes because it's really hard to focus. Uh, So, you know, we come to God in prayer, and maybe there's something important, and then all of a sudden we remember that we need to go buy milk, and then our mind is, like, gone, totally in a different direction, right? And it's like, oh, shoot, i got to come back to that. And you start praying again, and then it's like, oh I forgot about that bill I have to pay and then pff, your brain is gone again right? eventually after that you just give up after a while or the other way that we quit is um, you know, we express a need and, uh, and rather than persevere in prayer like Jesus says in the parable of the persistent widow who keeps knocking and knocking and knocking until she gets what she's asking for we just pray and then we're sort of like well alright I you know, let God know so I'll move on uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how, how long we should continue in prayer, but I know, I know a woman who she became a believer in college, and her parents basically were like, whatever, that's fine for you. You know, keep it to yourself. She spent 25 years praying for her parents. 25 years faithfully, like we could almost say daily praying for her parents. And eventually, when she was in her late 40s, her parents in their late 60s, early 70s became believers man if I had to pray for something for like 25 days I'm like all right come on God like speed this thing up right so Paul encourages us to pray with alertness and perseverance and who are we supposed to pray for yeah who are we supposed to pray for at the end of this verse all the saints, all the saints right um, this is another maybe beautiful way to uh, sort of further develop your prayer life is stop praying for yourself well I shouldn't say that don't think about yourself so much <coughs> consider praying for other people <coughs> Um, consider entering into intercession and supplication for the needs of others. Because our big problem as fallen sinful humans is that we think about ourselves way too much. We are self-obsessed. And one of the ways in which God offers to cure us of that narcissism is by commanding us to pray for other people, to make supplications for others. And I would actually encourage you to go, let's look at Philippians, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. Go back to verses 14 through 21. Because how should we pray for the saints? Paul's already given us a model. Man, if, if every person in our church was committed with alertness and perseverance to pray this prayer for our church, Can you even imagine the kind of work that God would do? Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 3 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I read uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and I hear that I'm supposed to make supplication for all the saints, I'm like... Yeah. How do you do that? Right? Like, I don't know all the Christians in India and China and Indonesia. Like, how how are you even supposed to pray for them? Well, Paul is not giving us something that is unobtainable. He's already given us a model for it. And, man, Paul prays this and records it for us. The Spirit gives it to us so that we might be guided in this. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. You know, and, and part of intercessory prayer also, uh, uh, you would think requires knowing what to pray about, and so for that to happen, w- we have to engage with each other as believers. And, okay. and otherwise, how do I know how to pray for Daniel on specific things unless I'm, you know, approaching them or they're coming to me or whatever? We're yeah. we're, we're being relational. Yeah. You know? right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. That is important. And I, and I would say also by having those relationships and listening to what people say, you can also pray for the things that they don't even know they need.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? You know, people might come to me in marriage counseling and say something like, you know, we need you to pray for our marriage because it's on the rocks. But in talking further, I realized what they really need is for me to pray that they would have some humility, right? Or some repentance or some grace or forgiveness. So that's also true.
3: I have a question. Yeah. I'm sorry to come back on that, but since you said it's like running my mind around it, when you, when you pray to God to, uh, about something, do you believe that he heard you? Of course. Do you believe that he remembers? Of course. So then why should you pray again and again and again and
0: again for the same thing? Uh, because Jesus commands us. Let me, let me just pull it up. I have to cheat because I don't know it off the top of my head, but uh, does anybody know off the top of their head where the persistent widow is?
3: Uh, I, yeah, I remember that part, that, 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 but the, um, I don't believe that the main focus of Jesus is to say like, yeah, keep asking the same thing again and again. The main focus of this passage is to say that God is faithful and he answers your prayer because he's not like a bad judge. Look at the bad judge. Uh, because the widow persisted, he, answer, he answered his prayer but God is more faithful than the widow, than the, than the, than badger. So he will answer your prayer. It's not like the main focus is not, oh, again, and again, and again, and again.
0: That's not. Uh, <clears throat> well, I would actually disagree with you, because I think Luke, and maybe we're just misunderstanding each other, but it's Luke 18, and, and the purpose of the parable is given to us in verse 1. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray <laughs> and not lose heart. Yeah.
3: I agree with that. But he's not saying that it's the same. It's like, you know, like if you ask forgiveness to, uh, uh, for, uh, for a sin, are you going to ask forgiveness for the same thing, except for the same sin again and again? No. That's right?
2: different because you get the response right away. You have, the, you have the answer as a yes. For other things, you may not have the answer, so then you have to ask again.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to miscommunicate here. I don't think that, like, you're going to get your answer to your prayer because you harass God and he finally gives in and is like, all right, shut up and go away. I'll give you what you want. I don't think that's the purpose of the parable. I think that because it is a relationship, let me, let me put it in these terms. Um, you know, sometimes my kids will come and ask me, you know, can we have ice cream or something like that? And I'm like, eh, not right now. Let me think about it they come back later and they say can we have ice cream and yeah and i'm not saying god is like that what i'm saying is that it is a relationship and so i i mean there may be there may be some room for to be led by your conscience here but i don't think that there's any let me put it this way I don't think that you can show me any verse in scripture that says that you should only ask God one time because he knows all things and remembers all things and after that go away
3: that's not where I'm going okay. where I'm going is like what I, re- what I see most in Christians is that they say oh God says not yet oh yes but sometimes God just says no. No. no Yeah. and you keep praying for the same thing and it's like well he already said no so I'm like
0: well, Why well, then, then the I would say eventually the purpose in that is for God to conform your will to His will. Yeah. Then keep praying until that happens.
3: Why should I? Because I don't want God to conform well, to uh, to, to conform know, right? my, uh, His will to mine. I don't. I want to God's will, not that God make that's fine.
0: But if you continue to pray and ask him for that, then you you are continuing to ask him to have his will conform to yours. And the process of prayer is eventually going to lead you to trust and humility.
2: And the problem is that we don't know. Sometimes, yeah. but, you know, has he said no, but he's not speaking aloud, so they are saying like, You so don't get has, his emails? <laughs> <laughs> I get his emails.
0: Like in I'm the so, example you gave about
2: that lady who was praying for 25 years. Uh, I can only imagine, you know, like maybe at year number 10, maybe she would be losing her heart, but no, she remained um,
3: and maybe surrendering to God for the yeah. process, until year 25. And there are circumstances to that, like for example, salvation, it's written, right, um, black and white, that it's the desire of God that all may be saved. Right, so you know that it's something that God desires, though that will happen. But it's something that He desires, you know. But for all the things, more trivial things, I don't, I don't know. Just like, like you know. but Sometimes so you ask once and or twice or whatever, you know. But like keep coming back on the same prayer again and again. You buy you can go ahead and make like um
2: almost like a rule like for these things say only once for these others, you can but, go ahead yeah. and pray for 25 years you know what i mean yeah so it's like,
0: and i think in the process of praying god is going to like conform us in these things <laughs> like he's going to transform us and so that's part of the process um you know and let me put it this way for god's sake you don't ever need to pray one more than once for his sake but probably for your sake, you need to continue in prayer, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does say, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um, so, yeah, I don't want you to believe that, yeah, again, you can harass God to do your will. But uh, that parable of the persistent widow is kind of a fascinating one. Um, And the encouragement that Jesus says is that we wouldn't lose heart in prayer. That we would persevere and we would be alert. Uh, So just a reminder there that we should pray for all the saints. And again, I would tell you that the best way to do that is uh, that model given to us in chapter 3 here. Um, So verse 19 is kind of interesting. Paul commands the church in Ephesians. I think it's a command. At the very least, it's a request that uh, they would pray for him. Uh, is this a command that you and I can keep? For, okay, for
3: Paul?
0: Yeah. Okay, No, right, we don't pray for the dead. Um, this is important. There are people that believe this. Uh, Catholics in particular, you know, say that you should pray for the dead. We don't pray for the dead. Um, Scripture is pretty clear. It's appointed for man once to live and then face judgment. There's no opportunity after that. So uh, this is just kind of one of those cool things in the text where we get to see Paul, you know, personally relate to the audience that he wrote to. Um, But this is not like a command for you or I because the opportunity has already passed. But the principle remains, what does Paul request that they would pray for? Then be say it again, Dan. To
1: proclaim the mystery of the gospel. <laughs>
0: to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now that was
2: very that spiritual, I was going to say it, so that you would be healthy and wealthy.
0: Yes, yes, of course, right? That's, that's the most important thing. Yeah, that, so this is just a little side point here. Um, I don't believe that there's a single recorded prayer in the New Testament where somebody prays for the health of another person. And if well, you, said,
3: the
0: you So that, that's why I said there's not a single recorded prayer in the yeah. New Testament. You do have that. And so I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. But if you're ever in a small group, like what percentage of prayers are for, you know, my sick nephew or whatever? Like 95%, right? When was the last time you were in a small group and somebody was like, pray for me. I am just angry as heck and I'm sinning every day in anger. That like almost never happens, right? Or I'm struggling with lust or I've been you know, unfaithful with my finances or uh, you know, I'm struggling with doubt. That almost never happens. And yet you have very, very few, well, sorry, you have no recorded prayers in the New Testament or some, for yeah, somebody's right, me, Good. <laughs> it should happen. Yeah. It should, right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. The Bible is pretty clear about that. Uh, yeah, so the, the prayer here, though, is for boldness to preach and proclaim the gospel. Should we... Obviously, we can't pray for Paul. He's dead. But should we pray that for the church? Absolutely. That the people of God would be effective in boldly proclaiming the gospel. Um, and you know what's cool about a prayer like that? God absolutely wants to answer it. In fact, Jesus said... The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so what? Pray to, the Father. pray to the Lord of the harvest that there would be more laborers. So, we can talk all day long about like, you know, how should we pray and what's God's will for our prayers and we don't know and all that all that's true and it's important. But here's a prayer that we know God wants to answer. Jesus commanded us, pray for the harvest. Pray that there would be laborers, pray that we would be faithful. Um so I guess if, you're, if you have a stifled prayer life, maybe a way to kind of kickstart it and get it flourishing again is to just be faithful to this prayer. Pray that God would give our church opportunities to share the gospel, that he would give you opportunities to share the gospel, that we would be bold in this work. Um, Okay, I just want to remind you of this because it's come up a couple of times in Ephesians, uh, verse 19, what is the mystery of the gospel? We spent, I know I at least spent one full Sunday talking about this. Does anybody remember? Or what are some aspects of the mystery of the gospel? There are at least a few that we can mention. Any of
1: the mysteries that...
0: What do you mean? What 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 mystery in particular?
1: I know one mystery indeed was um, Jesus coming in the flesh.
0: Yes. Okay. So this is a big piece of it. The mystery of the gospel is not that God will send a Messiah who is merely man, like Moses or Joshua or David but that God will send a Messiah who is God himself in the flesh, right? This is what disturbed the Pharisees. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. So, that's a big piece of it, is that Christ is not mere man. He is God incarnate. Any other aspects of the mystery of the gospel? Yes, that God's plan for a people is no longer merely the nation of israel the biological descendants of abraham but even that god's love and acceptance and forgiveness and reconciliation would pass also to the gentiles that's huge praise god for that because i'm guessing nobody in this room is ethnically a jew
2: the resurrection of the messiah was not uh, clearly uh, presented in the old testament but uh, it was kind of in times
0: yeah, this is another huge one, right? I think that the Jews in particular were looking for a Messiah-like David who would be triumphant and conquer, not one who would die and then rise from the dead to conquer sin and death. So that's huge as well. There's probably more that we could say, but those are those are probably kind of the big elements, and I want to just make that clear because I don't want you to think that when Paul has in mind the mystery of the gospel he's talking about some ethereal ununderstandable, you know thing out there that you have to divine with something like you know I don't know weird dice and bones and you know Ouija boards or things like that that's not what he's talking about this is a mystery now revealed and uh, it is things that were hinted at and alluded to in the Old Testament but now have become clear praise God for that Um, So, we will mention a couple of things. So, Paul, as he does in a lot of his letters, you know, kind of concludes with some very personal biographical things and some greetings. So, yeah, verses 21 and 22, he says, So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Um, and I just, you know, you might read this now and be like, well, what does this matter? But I think it's actually really beautiful because I think it shows the the level of relationship and pastoral care and connectivity that Paul had with these people, um, that he has some personal address included in here. And, man, when you read the one at the end of Romans 16, you know, there's a lot of people mentioned there in a lot of different contexts. And so... Paul was not sort of this, like, traveling evangelist who came in and held these tent meetings and then, like, moved on. He was moving pretty quickly in in many instances, but he was truly loving these people and knitting his heart together with them. Uh, yeah?
3: May I come back on verse seconds? Absolutely. Um, when he says that you should speak boldly as he <coughs> wants to speak, um, would you be able to give us, for example, some example as I as the very practical how
0: would you be able to speak boldly of some of these but still lovingly yeah totally um i i immediately what comes to mind is romans chapter 1 right so i'm not ashamed of the gospel or it's the power of salvation so um how do you speak boldly i mean we need we we live in an age we live in a really interesting age because um, if you look at, like, Paul, it's Acts 16, I think, is in the Areopagus. And he says, You know, men of Athens, I perceive that you're very intellectual. You have all these different gods, you're spiritual and religious. Well, underneath that is a presupposition that they actually believe something is true. What is the presupposition that our culture believes? There's no truth. There is no truth. It's totally relative. I was talking to the guy last night, Michael who was telling me that like, you know, if you believe one of these things, you believe all of them, like what's the difference? And I was just shocked by that. Like, are you a man or a dog? (laughs) Well, you're clearly a man, so you're not a dog. Like truth is by nature exclusive. It can't be all of the above, that's not an option. So what I'm getting at is, do we actually have confidence and conviction that what we believe is in fact true? that it is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. Do we believe that this is helpful for people, right? These are people that if, if you know, if you can imagine a, a, a terrible car accident and people are laying all over the road and they're broken and wounded, do we believe that what we have to offer them is helpful for them? So I think this a lot of this comes back to conviction. Why was Paul so bold? Because he was convinced. That Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that there is no salvation apart from him. He can even say in uh, Romans 9 that he He wishes for the sake of his, his brethren, the Israelites, that he himself could be cut off for their sake. Like, that's conviction, right? Um, and I think a lot of times we're timid because we're like, yeah, this is true, but these people are okay without it.
3: What I'm thinking is that if you are bold in the gospel, then people won't see, or will have trouble to see the humility, you will be obnoxious to them. So should we agree, be in agreement, in agreement with that? Like, yes, we're be obnoxious to people,
0: but that's fine. Yeah, so um, here is the way that I would frame that. I would say, fight hard to not, be offensive, but if your message is offensive, there's nothing you can do about that. In other words, can you speak this in a way that is tender and gentle, that is truly loving and gracious and kind, and if people are offended by that, that's on them. Does that make sense? So let's let's let the words of Jesus be their own offense. Let's not add to it in the way that we do it. But I think it's perfectly acceptable to say to somebody, "You're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like what you're saying is just untrue. You've not thought about it. You should go think about it." But if I'm in their face and I'm angry and I'm yelling and you know I have clenched fists and I'm grinding my teeth, then I'm sort of creating an an oppositional opportunity. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. You know,
1: the, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness, and and so, when we when you know, one way to be bold is, is to understand where you were and where you are. You know, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And and so, when you when you when you're, when you're uh, if, if you really are uh, uh, impacted by that by that uh, truth that God has poured into your life, into the salvation is really poured into, in, you, know, in, uh, you know, he actually has saved you uh, uh it's, it's it's not hard to be bold because you're, you're going to come across as uh, empathetic you're going to come across as uh, uh with humility and you're going to come across even emotionally a little bit you know because it's, it's you know I'm, I'm just sharing this with you because uh, you know um, uh, I, I want you to be saved yeah you know
0: yeah yeah and, and the gospel is offensive, but let's not add to the offense. right? That doesn't mean that we want to be honey-tongued either. That doesn't mean that we want to be deceptive. Um, but yeah, some people are offensive in the way that they do it. Now, we also have to be careful there, because if you say to somebody you're wrong, our culture says that that is, by nature of what you say, just offensive. Well, forget that. I don't care. Um, so it, it's it's in the way it's presented that we have to be cautious, I think. Is that helpful at all?
3: It is and I really like what Gabe um, shared because like, that's very practical. I like practical like when you share when you are sharing the gospel or when you are uh, correcting somebody keeping in mind that you were wrong also and you know better than the person. So I think that will transpire in, the, in your tone and yeah. So, yeah.
0: And maybe one other aspect of that is what are you actually fighting for? No. I find sometimes I'm fighting to be right. Like when I get it into the Jehovah's Witnesses, I just find their position so stupid that I like to win the argument because it's stupid. And that's bad motivation, right? It should be that like come and drink from the well that is Jesus. Like come and be satisfied. That should motivate me. So
2: in verse 20 it also says back to verse 19 the gospel for which i am an ambassador that's another point where we can all connect and apply right because yeah second corinthians 5 verse 19 it says now then we are ambassadors for christ as though god were pleading through us we implore you on christ's behalf be reconciled to god so that would be a good reminder that we are all ambassadors for the gospel yeah We all have this message, and we're supposed to deliver it to people around us. If we're not doing that, we
3: need
0: to reevaluate. Yeah. I thought about spending some time in that, so thank you for bringing that up. We are out of time, so let me just end with this. Uh, Verse 23, um, Paul ends by talking about peace and grace, and he encourages us with God's incorruptible love. And in doing so, he's come full circle, right? Because he started the letter by saying grace and peace to you. And then he wrote all of this information for us, And at the end, he comes back to grace and peace. And so I just think this is beautiful. Like We should, by the time we get to the end of this letter, feel a deeper understanding of grace and a more tangible experience of peace because of all the things that Paul has expressed to us in the letter. Um, So this is not, he begins the letter with this idea. It's not just wishful thinking or merely a prayer. He's going to explain why we can have all of this peace because the grace that we've received. And then he ends by reminding us this grace and peace. So let's close in prayer with that. God, we thank you so much for your love incorruptible expressed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that reflecting on that love in prayer and through your word and in fellowship and in obedience would increase our sense of peace and give us a deeper understanding of grace. And... Um, that we would persevere in that. We thank you so much for your love. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, uh, class will continue for the next couple of weeks. Um, Jonas, are you going to make an announcement about it? I have you scheduled. I would like to. Okay. I
2: don't know because it's a bit of a late class. So if if possible,
0: that'd be great. Yes, okay. Okay. So next week, Jonas is going to lead for the next couple of weeks uh, dealing with, the authority of scripture and you know our confidence in the bible so we'll be here next week would love to have you and feel free to invite a friend